and ask and telling me to tell people to move forward, to sit next to each other, to sit you know up close, and people don't like it. I don't like to be. I prefer. I would prefer to be in the back row next to the door. That's my. That is my preferred seat. And that is what I do in Europe. <laughs> but here's okay. The reason I do that is two, three. It really has more to do. It really has more to do with I fall asleep. It's that jet lag. And if I sit in the front row, they don't need to see me going, oh, oh and, and catching myself. And I need to get up and walk around a, but, a bunch. But, and the seats are the most uncomfortable seats in the world. They, they literally are the most uncomfortable seats. But, um, so the Lord's been dealing with me on, on let's get together. We're, we're, this is a body. We're a body, and we, and we need to go together. And we need to submit. You know, that's, there's the S word, you know, that whole S word thing. Submit, meaning let's, let's get, let's, we, we, we do what God wants us to do. We, we follow the leader. We, we had a friend, have a friend who was born in Korea. And many times she, just, she would just shake her head. She said, you Americans. She said, if the leader says jump, you jump. In Korea. In Korea, if the leader says jump, you jump. They don't ask questions, you just do it. In America, it's all, I don't think I want to. I, I don't, I, I, why do I have to jump? If so-so doesn't have to jump, why would I need? I'm not going to be the first one to jump. What if I'm the only one who has to jump? You know, <laughs> just, I don't feel the leading to jump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so she was also, you know, I mean, to put it into context, she was also the one in, in fourth grade when the, when the teacher wouldn't put more firewood in the fireplace. And when the teacher left the room, she busted up one of the chairs and put it in the fireplace because the kids were cold. So yeah, you got to put it into context of, uh, but it's good to be in unity. It's good to be, and, and sometimes we have to force ourselves to be in unity. And, and the other side of it is, as a speaker, it's really hard to speak to here and there and there if there's nobody in between. It's tough. So it's good to be together. So I uh, thank you for doing this. And throughout the weekend, and here's the other thing I want you to do. It, it, during the break, during the lunchtime, sit with somebody you don't know. We say that every year. But I encourage you to sit with somebody you haven't hung out with, somebody you haven't talked to, somebody you don't know. Because it's good to fellowship with other folks. It's good to, it's good to get to know. And we are the body of Christ in the River Valley. We have relationship. Let's get to know each other better. Amen? Amen. So I'm so glad that you came this morning because I said last night you will be very glad you did. We're going to be worshiping here in just a moment. But uh, I, had, I had had this slot open, this 1030 to 1130 speaking slot open, and I didn't know for whom. I thought maybe it might be Pastor Dan and Claudia, but they weren't, they weren't able to come. I thought it might be somebody else, and they, they, are, they were not able to be here. And so, but, but I, and so I was going to cancel it and start at noon today. And uh, just start for lunch and then start the meetings after that. And the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. There's something else. And I told you that you're going to be very blessed, extremely blessed by the, uh, the message this morning. And uh, yesterday over lunch, uh, my brother and his wife are here, Vern, Vern and Sherry Neitzel from southern Minnesota. And uh, he, he, we, yesterday in, the, in our prayer time, we, it, was, it was like it was a heritage prayer time. We were praying specifically for the people in our lives who have, have greatly influenced our lives for Christ. Ministers, friends, the people who led us to the Lord, all of those, those people. Well, Vern is at the top of the list as one of those people. He, this, this is the longest human relationship that I have. 
He remembers when I came home as a bundle of joy and brought, and brought sunshine and happiness to the family from that moment on. It, it turned a dark family into a bright and shiny, happy family. And, yeah, and he had to start learning how to share. That's right. There was, I don't know. <laughs> they wouldn't have told me if there was. You know, you're nothing special, kid. You know, suck it up. Um, but, uh, but not only is, my, is he my brother, but he is, he is also, shoot, he's also uh, been a, a great spiritual influence in my life. He was the Jesus freak in our lives. He was, he was that crazy tongue-talking guy in the 70s, you know, that you heard about, but now you're related to him. Uh, he, he'd, he'd always wanted to lay hands on you and pray. You know, he always wanted, and I'm like, really? God, you're weird. You know, I mean, we, we grew up not in that vein of Christianity. And he's stuck with it from that day forward. Consistent. It's wonderful. When, uh, I, I, you've heard my testimony, and, and there was a period of time where I was an absolute idiot. I, I mean, I've been an idiot many times in my life, but there, this was, there was a, a six-year period where I was an absolute idiot. Walked away from God, sinned as much as I could, did whatever I, whatever I felt I wanted to do. And during that time, what I didn't know, obviously, and none of us know the whole story behind the scenes, but after I came back to the Lord, I used to meet people all the time in different church services or you know wherever it might be and i would introduce they'd ask me who i was i'd introduce myself oh, i'm john neitzel he's going john neitzel he goes i used to be in a bible study with your brother and we used to pray for you it's good to have people like that in your life praise god for those people who didn't give up on you, who prayed for you. Or at least just said, God, give them mercy. You know, <laughs> when you couldn't do any more, you just said, God, give them mercy. And so um, Vern has been ministering for years and years, leading Bible studies, preaching, teaching. Uh, in the last 10, 15 years, he's, he's spoken many places around the world in, in uh, um, uh, YWAM DTSs. And uh, he's, it's, he's, he's a... He's a He's a wonderful man of God. It just happens to me and my brother. Now that's the nicest thing I'll ever say about you, and you don't ever expect it again, okay? But it is recorded. Right? But it is recorded. Well, no, is it recorded? Oh, it's recorded. <laughs> you can get a copy for 50 bucks, Vern, for a, love, for, for a free love offering of 50 bucks. You, we'll give you a free cassette. Uh, glory to God. Enough, enough about him. Let's, let's talk about Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. We're, we're going to worship him, and then I, that, that's the introduction, and we'll have him come up immediately afterwards. Let's stand, and we'll worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for family. We're so grateful for the family of God. We thank you, Lord your goodness to us and your mercy and, and your love toward us. And this morning, Father, as we worship you, as we lift up the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit 
will lead us into all truth and will worship through us. Show us how to worship more effectively in spirit and in truth. We give you glory, honor, and praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord, it's all about becoming like you. Becoming, being made in the image of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word that is that fire. Your word that changes us. Illuminates sin. Illuminates the things that need to to be moved and shifted to be like you. Father, I pray that this day be full of your word. Full of your life-changing word. Thank you for your word, Lord. And so, Father, we prepare our hearts and we, we open up our hearts for that light, the light of the word to be shown in us over and over and over. And thank you, Father, for the change. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to introduce, oh, you know, everybody stand up. Welcome with me, Vern Neitzel. I just, um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you to John for making this opportunity, and for all of you that have been. Uh, a place for Vern to minister in the past. It's been a blessing, blessing to us, and I appreciate the the welcome and the vote of confidence. Um, like Vern said to John when he first offered him this, I came in on one engine and that was burning. We just really came to soak in and soak up. And and when John asked him if he'd be interested in ministering, I thought the chance was about ten percent, maybe one percent, if. <laughs> But then after we left, he told me, well, actually, God gave me the title last night, and, and then things just started coming, so I'm really excited to see what God has to say for us, because it's like watching one of those time-lapse, uh, you know, video things where there's nothing there, and then all of a sudden there's something there, and then it, it builds, and I just feel like God's got something for you that was specially designed. So thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we turn this over to you right now. Obviously, we've already done that several times. I turn this over to you right now. I turn my mouth and my being over to you to minister your life through me. May only your words be spoken. May your spirit move here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so when John asked me, honest to God, it was about 1% that I'd be willing to do this because I, we've come out of a very tough season uh, uh, business-wise. Not trouble, but unloading the ship that came in as hard and fast as we could for months. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, if, I mean, you can, get, you can get pooped out just unloading the gold off the ship. Because, <laughs> you know. Even though it's a good thing, it still wears you wears you down. So, um, so we we we've been working hard 
for the last several months, and, and I did come in on one engine uh, to this to get revived and to get to hear from God. So anyway, so it's God that I'm up here because when he asked me that, um, God did the, the, the day before when uh, um, the brother was sharing, this word has dropped into my heart, the stages of the heart. And I thought, wow, that make a good sermon. <laughs> so I wrote that down. I thought, that'd make a good sermon. And, and uh, so when he asked me, and I said, well... Probably not. I, you know, I went back to my hotel room and God said, <clears throat> I already gave you the sermon. <laughs> I thought, okay, Lord. By your strength, you want a word spoken, I'll speak the word. I'll be obedient. So here I am. Hallelujah. The stages of the heart, which means that everybody is at different stages in, in life, in eternity, in the way that they're processing things and in the way that their heart is set up. And, and it's all in different stages. Everybody's at a different place. And we're going to talk about that this morning. First of all, we were created in the image of God. Now that, that itself ought to make us sit down and, and think, what in the world? We weren't like the angels. We weren't like anybody else. We were created in his image. And he is a spirit. God is a spirit. The Bible says that. He doesn't have a body per se, although he can manifest in a body, which he did here on earth, but he is a spirit. And so if we were created in the image of God, that meant we our spirit, which is really who you are, was created in the image of God. Wow. That, that's amazing. That, that, that's hard to grasp. That almost sounds sacrilegious, that we... The Bible says, ye are gods. And, 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 and the fact that we were created at an elevation that we can look to him and say, Daddy, that's amazing. That's amazing. The Bible says, uh, how does it say it? Uh, uh, the, uh, the wonder that we can be called the sons of God. What is, how does it say it? Yes. Come on, you spirit. This <laughs> is scriptural. <laughs> uh, I can't think of the words right now. Something about that we should be called the sons of God. Okay, anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. So, and that's going to happen a lot. In this sermon, I, a lot of times I will, I will get chapter and verse and I will preach out a chapter and verse and I'll tell you all the, every chapter and verse. I didn't have time to do that this time. So I'm going to quote a lot of the Bible and you're going to have to go look it up for yourselves if you don't believe me. <laughs> Can you read it? Okay. No, there's something a little closer to that that says it's amazing that we should be called the sons of God. But yes, that's right. We are the sons of God. Okay. So we were created in the, in the image of God. That was the first stage of our heart, the first heart stage. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong. But then man, you got it? First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Amen. Wow, that ties right in. Um, another thing that you're going to notice that a lot of things I'm going to say uh, is, is somewhat to what John was preaching on last night. And that, again, was a confirmation to me that, yeah, Vern, you're going to do this. You're going to get up there tomorrow. Because a lot of what John said last night was almost like an introduction to a lot of things I'm going to say today. I'd already written them down. They were already on my notes. And I'm like, don't preach my sermon. <laughs> I'm not going to have anything to say. I'm not preaching tomorrow because he's already preaching my sermon. 
But but no, he uh, he left out a lot of stuff. So. <laughs> so. Um, man sinned. He had a perfect spirit. So did he sin when he thought about eating that fruit? No. We have minds, and our minds go all over the place. But that's not necessarily our spirit. You can be tempted. You can see uh, something and be tempted, but that's not your spirit saying yes. That's your mind going, hmm, this is a thought. See, that's why we have to control our minds and keep our minds under our spirit. Our spirit has to be dominant in the Christian life because our minds will be all over the place. And our bodies, even more so. It's like, come on, get back here. Heal, boy, heal. Our bodies, we've got to keep them under because our bodies are going to go fluky all over the place. So, so when Adam and Eve considered what Satan was saying, that was not sin. It was when they went ahead and did it. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So when you're tempted, Satan used to beat me up on that. Oh, you got tempted, you're, you wicked person. No, 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 no. Temptation is not sin. You see, you see something that tempts you and you go, no. You didn't sin, even though your, your flesh was going, yes, 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 yes. No, you didn't sin at that point. As long as you turn away and go, no, you did not sin. You were tempted. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted. I mean, when Satan said, bow down and worship me, Jesus was tempted. Can you imagine? Why? Because Jesus wanted the nations. He came here for the nations. And Satan said, hey, I'll give you the nations. And for a second there, Jesus was like, no. <laughs> no way. And, and so temptation is not sin. Your spirit can stay clean even though your flesh is trying to draw you off the path. Okay, so man did sin. He followed through on that curious thought of, huh, if I eat that, I will know something that I don't know. God must be hiding something from me. God must, and he began to doubt God's word. He began to doubt God. So he fell into unbelief to what God was saying and belief of what Satan was saying. Hello, does that still happen today? (laughs) Yes. He he walked in unbelief and took that fruit thinking he was going to outsmart God and he sinned. And the Bible says, now the heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's stage two in mankind. That's horrendous. We went from the image of God to being desperately wicked. Now, we watch the news and we see things like those guys that captured that that, uh, mentally challenged kid in Chicago and tortured him for two days. It's like, hey, we are all capable of that kind of crap. Germany was very elite, very proud of their knowledge and their accomplishments. The German seed was the best in the world. Look at what they did. Look at what they did. And yet they were the top of the line. Mankind is, is capable of some horrendous things. Why? Because their heart is desperately wicked. Don't let anybody ever, let, don't let anybody ever tell you that man is basically good. <laughs> no. 
Man is basically deceitful and desperately wicked. Even the nice housewife, even the the very accomplished businessman, they can do some horrendous things when nobody's looking. So that was stage two, that we were desperately wicked. Now thank God he didn't leave us there. Thank God that Jesus Christ came and paid a horrendous cost on those few days here on earth at the end of his life and whatever he went through when he left this world before he came back, he paid a horrendous cost. Why? So we could get a stage three heart, which is a new heart. He said in Ezekiel 36, 26, And now a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. He took away that filthy, rotten, wicked, deceitful, disgusting heart. He took it away. And he put within us a brand new heart. Now the heart is back to being in tune with him again. Now it's all of a sudden in the image of God again. It's a brand new heart. You have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are a new creature. You're brand new. Okay? So... Now where do we go from there? Because last night my brother said that, uh, I don't know hardly any of you guys, but he said that he knows most of you and that most of you or all of you are all born again. Okay? So are we done? We all got a new spirit, so (laughs) we're all done. No. There are still stages of the heart. There's many stages of the heart. I just wrote down a few. We talk about about, uh, a heart that is cold. Jesus said, I would that you be hot or cold. He's speaking to the church. He's not talking about the guys in the street. He's talking to this church. He says, I would that you be hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. There are lukewarm hearts. That's why I came here this week. I felt in me that I'm getting lukewarm. I'm, I'm getting to, to where I don't really care. I don't really care what he said last night, that, 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 that when there's somebody that you don't really care, like, you really don't care if they go to hell. And I was starting to feel that way, that lukewarmness was creeping in that I really don't care. And, and that's dangerous. That's extremely dangerous. Well, that's a heart growing cold. And, and this morning, as, as we go through these, do what he said last night, introspection. And there's a time, this is a time of introspection. Look within your heart. Where is my heart right now? Is it getting cold? Is it hot on fire for God? Nobody knows from the outside. You can't tell. Walking down the street, unless, unless the Spirit of God gives you uh, insight, you can't tell when, when somebody is right with God and whether somebody's hot on for God or not. It's, it's down in here, hidden from everybody. And you can, tr- you can fool people. You can trick people into thinking that you're hot. You can jump in down and sing praises and, and look real holy. But God knows the heart. And God knows what's going down inside of here. And we need to be concerned about that. We need to look and see where is our heart talks about being tender-hearted. talks about a heart that's not right with God. Many places in the Scripture says that his heart was not right with God. Is our heart right with God today? Is there anything that's holding it back and causing it to grow cold and cause, causing it to not hear God like clearly like he should? talks about a wounded heart or a broken heart. There's people that are wounded. Their heart is wounded and they can't function normal. 
think, well, what's the matter with that person? Why don't he just get up and go? Why don't he, you know, there is a wounding of the heart that needs to be healed, that needs to be fixed. There are sick hearts that need, that need to get well again, that need to, to get to where they are functioning correctly. So there's lots of stages of the heart that, that, that we go through and that are available to us. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we need to pick the right one and go for it. Because the Bible says, guard your heart, for in it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. So here we are today with all new spirits. We all have new hearts, but we need to guard them. We need to take care of our heart because our heart is our very core. And if our heart is hurt, broken, wounded, tired, or on fire, it will affect our entire being. It will steer us. You see, we talk a lot about confessions. We talk a lot about make your confession because your mouth will steer your life. Your, your tongue is the rudder of your life and it will steer your life. But the Bible says that the heart will steer your tongue. Your tongue will steer your life, but your heart will steer your tongue. Out of the abundance of your heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaketh. And if you have trash down in here, and it's bubbling up trash out of here, you're in trouble. You're going to see things in your life that you didn't want to see. So we need to go down to the core issue. And the core issue is our heart. And we need to open it up and bear ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way within me. We need to bear ourselves and open up to God and say, there are no doors unlocked in this house or locked in this house. There are no doors that are closed. You know, we always... I used to do that. Serve the Lord, but there's a few rooms that I don't let him in. There's a few rooms that I kind of protect. <laughs> That's my fun room. I don't, you know, <laughs> don't mess with that. You're not going to mess with that, are you? <laughs> You're not going in there, please. Don't, you know. I mean, you can go in there, but don't move anything around. <laughs> don't do anything. <laughs> no. We need to get to a point in our life where it's like, okay, gloves are off. I'm opening every door in this heart, every door in this life. And you... Go ahead and you do whatever you want because I'm wide open to you. I'm desperate. I need you and I'm open up. We need to lay our hearts on the altar continually with no holds barred. We need to lay everything on that altar continually, day after day. I die daily, the apostle said. We need to lay it all on the altar daily and say, I'm open. You do whatever you want. I'm open to you. I'm going your way. I've tried my own way. It's death. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the, the ends thereof are the ways of death. I've already done that. I did it back in the world. I've even done it in the Christian world. And it doesn't work. So at some point you get to where you finally go, I give up. You tell me where, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, what my ministry is going to be, how big it's going to be. You just, here's the keys. I heard a sermon one time, you've probably heard it, where the, the guy said, no, I'm not going to give you the keys and sit, sit in the back seat because I know, I know myself. I know I'm going to reach over and grab that steering wheel. I'm going to get in the trunk 
hand the keys to the Lord, slam the trunk, and say, Lord, you fill it up with whatever you want and go wherever you want to go. I'm with you. Amen. And that's, that has to be our heart. Or we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be wounded. We're going to be lame. Do we have the tape? Okay, not yet, but I just want to know if you had it. Okay. Prepared their, uh, prepare, prepared not their heart. Can somebody look up Psalms 78 and find that phrase in there uh, to read in a, in, a, in, a few, in a minute? It says they prepared not their heart. Because that really stuck out to me. Psalms 78, I was reading that one day, and that really jumped out at me, that they did not prepare their heart. We need to prepare our heart. We need, we need to take care of this thing. This thing steers us. This thing is our, our very life. Out of it flow the issues of life. We need to take care of this. We need to prepare it. We need to, to, to do whatever it takes to make sure it's healthy and, and, and on cue with, with the Spirit of God. Does anybody have it yet? Verse. Uh, it, it says in the verse that they prepared not their heart. Did you know the verse? No. Verse 8. Verse 8. Can you read it? Okay, now don't shut that, because I'm going to want you to read the next verse. They did not prepare their heart. They were stubborn and rebellious and did not prepare their heart to know God. What's the next verse say? Uh, the sons of Bethlehem were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. Oh. That's deep. They were archers. They were men of war. They could kill. They could destroy the enemy. They'd already shown themselves to be fierce warriors that they could run over their enemy and kill every one of them. They turned back in the day of battle. Why? Because they hadn't prepared their heart. They hadn't gotten right with God. And so, here we stand so many times. We think we're all prepared. Man, I know the Bible. Let's play Bible trivia. I'll beat you all. Well, well, you know, I I can spit this stuff out. You know, I know all the verses and I know... and, and, And yet... They were armed and they turned back in the day of battle. They hadn't prepared their heart to know God. They hadn't got right with God before they went out there. This is a real serious sermon. How serious? As serious as open heart surgery. <laughs> That's pretty serious. This, this is the very core of where we should be today. My brother talked about getting on the bus. Getting on, we got to get on the bus. All right, where's the bus going? What do we do? The bus is the will of God. We are yielding ourselves to the will of God at that point. We're sitting down, and he's going to take us wherever he wants to. And what we find a lot of times, what I found in my life, is the first destination is he's going to drive out in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking about a waste howling wilderness. No buildings for miles and miles. You left buildings a long time ago. There's no water to speak of. You're going to have to find your own. There's no food to speak of. You're going to have to find your own. There's no shelter. And he's going to stop that bus. And he opens the door and he says, All right, time to get out. Um, get out. Where, 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 where are we? Time to get out. You're going to find out. 
well, why am I here? Because he's here. He's here? Yeah. Time to get out of the bus? I'll be back for you. I'm coming back. I'll, I'll be back for you. Okay, wh- when are you coming back? Well, sometimes it's 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. Are you kidding me? What, what am I going to do here? You, you'll find out. You'll find out. Get out of the bus. Well, I want to stay here with everybody. I mean, <laughs> fellowship, you know? <laughs> this is fellowship, remember? Social. <laughs> Socialization is a good thing, God. <laughs> you know? And God says, no, no, no. You're going to get out. And you're, only you. Out of the bus. This is your spot. Get out. Okay. You grab your little bag and you jump out of the bus and the door closes and there it goes. And there you are, standing out there in the middle of nowhere. You know what the Bible calls that place? The wilderness. The wilderness. He's taken almost every man of God that we can find in the Bible to a place called the wilderness and dropped them off. He said, we'll be back. We'll pick you up later. <laughs> and some of them have been 40 years. When Moses left Egypt, he, the Bible says that he was a man mighty in word and in deed. When he left the wilderness, he couldn't talk straight. He was stuttering. He says, I, 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 can't, I can't, can't go before Pharaoh. I, I, I can't talk decent. He was a man of, of, of mighty in word and deed. What happened to the mighty in word and deed? God knocked it out of him. The wilderness knocked it out of him. The wilderness stripped away everything that was not important. The wilderness stripped away everything, every outward appearance of success and ability and strength and honor. It stripped it all away until he was a mumbling guy that all he knew was God. That's all he knew. I don't know anything else. I can't talk. I know God. I met him. I talked to him. But that's all I've got. That's all you need. <laughs> Here comes the bus. <laughs> it's going to pick you up again. The bus came by and picked up Moses and said, we're going to Egypt. I, I, I can't do that. You can do it. You can do it. So the first place we go to is the wilderness. And God's out there. Oh, that's one of the best places in the world. God's out there. You're going to meet God. You're going to get to talk to God all by yourself. Just you and the creator of the universe. He's going to... He's going to talk to you, and you're going to talk to him. You're going to hear his voice. It's going to be the best place. You're going to have dreams of, of how wonderful it was back in the wilderness. But you've got to go there. Don't be surprised when you find yourself there. In Daniel, chapter 11, verse 32, there's a phrase that talks about in the last days when things get really, really tough. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, things are going to get really tough. Things are, I mean, people that are not Christians, that are news people, and people in the know are saying, oh, we've never seen this before. We've never, we have never seen this kind of upheaval. The whole world is on the edge of war and, and, and extreme violence and, and extreme changes and upheavals. The fact that the government can, can, it can, can spy on everything we say and do. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a smartphone right here. They might be listening to us. God bless you guys. You need to turn to Jesus. <laughs> you know, uh, 
that kind of power, Hitler and Napoleon and, and, and the kings of old can only dream of having that kind of power over the people. And yet that power is available to the government today, right now. It's not even hidden anymore. We, we were thinking, are they listening to us? Until, the, until Snowden said, yeah. <laughs> yep, they're listening to everything you're saying. They're watching everything you're doing. They know you better than your wife knows you. That kind of a, a power and, and the upheaval, the, the, the tensions that are in the world today between, between China and, and the U.S. and, and between the, 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 the radical Islam and, and between all the other tribes and infighting and, and nationalism and globalism and th- this world is <laughs> this world is, is like a, a top that you've got going all of a sudden it's out of kilter and it's going to crash and, and it's going to get bad the Bible says that the end times is going to be really bad it says that the day of the Lord will be darkness and not light things are going to get really tough but in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 it said, but they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Amen. Whoa. Amen. That means there's, there, there is a way to win this thing. We don't have to get run over by that steamroller. And if the steamroller tries to run us over, it's going to hit a big bump. What in the world? You know, God dropped this in my, into my spirit this morning. He, he said, you know, people are so, they give so much honor to the word cancer. Oh, the, the, the big C showed up, you know. And they talk about, he had stage five cancer. Well, we all know what that means. He's going to die. The Spirit of God said to me this morning, he said, man that comes out of the wilderness and knows me will stand up and say, yeah, but I'm at stage five Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> My spirit is at stage five Holy Ghost. <laughs> Get out of the way, you scummy little Mr. C. You're done in this body. You're, you can't stay here. You have no welcome here. In Jesus' name. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Uh, right in that same vision, it talks about the Antichrist or a ruler at that time will wear out the saints. That's always troubled me. That phrase is always troubling. Me. Wear out the snakes. What do you mean we wear out the saints? We're the saints. You know, we're, we're, I don't, you know what, what's he going to do to us? What's, you know? Well, for one thing, it's going to be persecution. There's going to be, there's going to be serious... Some of us in this room may die uh, um, for the sake of Christ, just to forewarn you. It's not a big deal. It's happened through the centuries. Uh, they say last year... That persecution is, at, is ramping up, by the way. There's more people that die every year right now for Christianity than have ever died in history. We talk about the, the, uh, the, the Colosseum and the lions and stuff. There's a lot more people dying today for the sake of Christ being, being murdered and persecuted than have ever died in the past. It's being ramped up. So just for warning, love not your life unto death may be a real thing that you're going to hang on to at the end. That, okay, you go ahead and kill me. You can't, you can't do anything to my spirit. If you're going to kill this body, you're going to kill this body. Or I may be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and walk out of this thing. But it's not promised that we're going to be Shadrach, Meshach. See, do I, do I have time to digress just a minute? Okay. Um, people get this confused sometimes. 
suffering for Christ. And a lot, if, if you listen to Christian radio, you're going to hear that a lot. Oh, suffering for Christ. You know, he's laying in that sick bed in the hospital. He's suffering, you know, for Christ. And God's, you know, doing his thing. And, and, and you know, either the word of God is true or it's not. Yes, and, and, and either God is a God of healing or he's not. Yes. And, and if he's a God of healing, does he, is he's, a God, he's a God of, of healing everybody that comes to him and claims that promise. Either he is or he's not. Well, where does suffering for Christ come in then? Suffering for Christ comes in persecution. Persecution is, is not promised to us that we will avoid persecution. As a matter of fact, it's promised to you. If you want to gla- grab onto the promises, <laughs> there's one right there. <laughs> that all that God, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And it, and it even comes with this little tag. If you're not being persecuted... There's something wrong with you. Whoa. <laughs> you know. So, so suffering is promised to us. But not the suffering that the world's suffering. Not the tribulation they're going through. Having somebody break into your house and steal your goods. That's not persecution. That's just a dirty old thug that wanted to get some money for crack. That's not persecution. And that you can rebuke. That's, that's one, part of the curse of the law. That, they, that the thieves come in and steal your goods. You can rebuke that. Amen. There's another digression I could take. <laughs> I don't, don't want to get too far off. But one time, I had a, a tamper. Do you guys know what tampers are in construction? I'm a construction guy, just by, in case you didn't know. And a tamper is what pounds the dirt when you're, when you're getting ready to pour concrete. That dirt's got to be good and compressed, or you're going to have trouble with your concrete. And I had a tamper, the nice one. I mean, it was like $2,000, $2,500 tamper. And uh, one day I went to the shop to get it, and it wasn't there. And, well, you start looking and looking, and, and in my life, the first thing you do is call all your sons and say, who's got my tamper? <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I texted all of them and said, who has my tamper? Who's got, nobody. Nobody's got my tamper. We think back to jobs. No, 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 that was a long time ago. We brought everything back. Looked through the shop again. No, no tamper. It's gone. How could my tamper be gone? But it's gone. And it really was gone. So I wrote it off in my head. Shoot, my tamper's gone. And I heard a testimony a few years later um, about things that had been lost that were regained by a, a grace of God at that time that things were being refound by Christians at a, at a period of time. How much time do I got? <laughs> I, could, I could go on rabbit trail after rabbit trail here. I'm at 33 minutes. Okay. So, here's a very interesting story for you. This will keep you awake, hopefully. A few years ago, my son was graduating from uh, uh, the uh, University of Chicago or Chicago School of Business or something like that. It's a big-name college out there. And <laughs> I'm really into this <laughs> academic stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were going to take the whole family out there for the graduation. And I, I bought tickets for the whole family to go out there for his graduation. And, and t- buying tickets for a whole family, to me, means 12 tickets. <laughs> I got 12 kids, plus me and my wife. So, um, so we uh, got to the Minneapolis International Airport. Oh, before that happened, before that happened, 
I was getting ready to, uh, to go on this trip, and what do you need to fly? Huh? Passport, picture ID. You need a picture ID. Passport, license, whatever. So, two days before we flew, I started looking, you know, okay, make sure I got check, check, check this. And, um, and I looked for my billfold that had my license, driver's license in it. I couldn't find that billfold. I could not find that billfold. I looked. I don't know if you guys have ever lost anything. <laughs> of course you have. And you look, and you look, and you look. And I looked through the house. I looked through my office. I looked through my vehicle. Finally, the day before we flew, I was getting desperate. I thought, well, I can fly with my passport, I guess. But I want my billfold. Where's my billfold at? Credit cards, everything, you know? So I took a flashlight. I had a, 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 a Jeep. No, it was a Bronco. I had a Bronco, a Ford Bronco that I bought from, from her family at that time. And, and I, that's what I was driving around town. So I I'm going to find this billfold. So I took a flashlight and I went through that Bronco, front seat, down the sides, under the seats, fold the seats forward, all around the back seat. I scoured that Bronco. It's got to be in here, right? It's not at the shop or at the office or any place. No. Could not find it with a flashlight looking carefully. Okay. Shoot, don't have my billfold. Well, I have to run to the insurance company before we take off and bring something over, uh, some papers over to them. I'm going to go to my office and get those papers. And, um, and, and, and then while I'm at my office, I'm going to grab my passport if I have to, make one quick more look. And, and I had the papers, and I threw them on the front seat of the Bronco in a folder, in a manila folder. I just laid them on the seat, and I ran into the office to look one more time. No, nope, no billfold. Okay, plan two, I'll, I'll, I'll use my passport. And I get on the Bronco, and I start driving. And while I'm driving, I reached on and picked up that manila envelope, and there's my billfold. My billfold is laying on... Now, this was a miracle. You can't tell me that that billfold was there. This, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fairly lucid guy. <laughs> My brother may you know, argue with that, but I, you know, I've, I've, I'm fairly you know, in tune here. And, and that billfold wasn't there. I scoured that, that vehicle in the cracks and everything. So, so now I'm thinking, okay, logically, where did that billfold come from? Was it up in the visor? No. I even went so far as to thinking, did my neighbor steal it? And while I was in that office, did he walk by and throw it? I mean, you know, you're trying to figure things out, you know. You, you don't want to think that miracles are just happening all the time, you know. So it's like, where did that thing come from? It came from somewhere. Did I just see a miracle or what in the world is that? Don't know. Time to go. Time to fly. Got the family together. We went to uh, Minneapolis Air International Airport. And we all get in this huge line to go through security. And so I've got 12 kids. They weren't all with me at that point. We had probably six with us at that point, something like that. And I don't know, you, you do head counts to make sure <laughs> that you don't leave anybody behind because we've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we're in this long line and... Uh, and I look down, and I'm, oh, wait, way down at the other end 
is a security line and it doesn't have half the line. Hey, everybody, hey, everybody come with me. I'd already given everybody their boarding passes. All the kids had their boarding passes. I said, everybody, let's go down to the other end. Okay, everybody, everybody, let's go. We all went down to the other end. We get down to the other end and we're in the line. Another head count, time, time for another head count. I'm just, wait a minute. Where is she? My youngest, Kia, 11 years old. Nowhere in It's like you. Sherry, where, where's Kia? Huh? It's like, Sherry, we must have left her at the other line. I'm going to go to the other line. I'll get her. You guys stay in this line. I'll be right back. I went, went to the other line. She's not there. She had a certain clothing on. I don't remember what it was, but she, Sherry told me what it was. And, I, and I'm looking. She's not in that line. So I walked to the other end of the airport, line after line, all the way down. She's gone. It's like, my God. We're standing here with people coming and going all the time. This is not even funny. And so I was like, they're going to do an Amber Alert. I've got to go to the authority and tell them that I'm missing my daughter. I don't want to raise a fuss here, but she is nowhere in sight. I walk up to the Amber, or to the to the authority guy, cop or whatever, TSA or whatever. I said, I, I'm missing my daughter. What is she wearing? I told her what she's wearing. How old is she? Eleven years old. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Bang! Doors open. There were people on the balconies. There was authorities walking through the halls. Everybody was looking for my daughter with. Pink? Probably. <laughs> she was a girl, so that makes sense. And uh, everybody's looking. She's gone. And I'm standing there. They said, you stand right here. Don't you leave, because if we find her, we need to talk to you. So I had to stand there. And I just said, God, have mercy. You promised in your word. And I began to confess the word. I began to conf- confess the... the uh, the curses of the law. The curses of the law are really cool because in the New Testament, it flips it and says, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So you can quote the curse and say, that is not going to happen to me. My children are not going to be taken captive. Yeah, but look at the cars coming and going. My children are not going to be taken captive. You promised me, God. And not only that, but you helped me find that billfold, whatever that was. I don't know what that was, but you helped me find that billfold the other day. I want my daughter back. Help me find my daughter. Long story short, which isn't true because it's already a long story, but um, pretty soon, and and my other daughters were on the cell phones with us. I I said, get on the plane, head to Chicago. We'll meet you there. We're going to find Kia. We're coming with you. But you guys stay on the line. You get through security. You go go to the gate. Pretty soon we get a phone call from Ellie, our other, one of our other daughters. She said, she's here. She's at the gate. She's at the gate? I had asked the authorities, is there any way she could have gotten through uh, this security? And uh, No way. They would not let a young 11-year-old girl go through the security by herself. No way. That's exactly what they did. And they helped her through it. She told one of the TSA guys, I've, I, I'm missing my parents. Oh, you just you come with me. You, you know what gate you're going to? You'll find them. Just, and he pushed her through, and then he took a strange lady, 
she wasn't strange, but it was a stranger, huh? A passerby. A passerby and said, ma'am, can you help this girl find her gate? And sent her on her way. <laughs> I was like, who can I sue here, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> so she's at the gate. I, told, I turned to Sherry and said, let's go. She's at the gate. We got through security. We barely got on that plane. We go to Chicago. Okay. So we are at Chicago. And we get checked into the airport, or into the hotel, very nice hotel. And, and we're getting relaxed and established, you know. And it's been kind of a wild two days, but okay, we're, you know, start to relax and stuff. I'm sitting down in the lobby of the hotel, and you can see the whole hotel up above you. It's all open with balconies and stuff. Very nice place. And, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I notice this lady standing there. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> I walked up and I said, ma'am, is there a problem? My daughter. I can't find my daughter. Okay. Tell you what, I've been through this. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I said, let's go talk to the hotel people. And I said, this lady's missing her daughter. I said, where are the exits to this building? So they said, the only exit out of this building is to go downstairs out the main exit. I said, I'm going to go down there and tell those guys to not let anybody out of this hotel. And you guys do whatever you're going to do to look for her. I went down, told the guys downstairs. They said, okay. He described the girl, described what she was wearing, gave her the name. Came back up, and the lady's just, you know, standing there, wringing her hands and stuff. And, and, she, and I said, well, do you have any idea where she might be? I mean, any friends or anything? And she says, well, she, she, did, she does have friends up on the 13th floor. And, well, I guess they don't have 13 floors in hotels, but whatever floor, 14th floor. And... Um, you know, maybe she went up there. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't leave. They told me to stand right here. You know, just, yeah, I, I know, lady. I've been through this. And uh, so me and Sherry went up to the 14th floor and opened the door. And here's this little teary-eyed girl standing there. And I, and I said, Samantha? And she says, yeah. I said, your mom is looking for you. Come with me. And we brought her down. Opens up. She goes running to her mom. Case is dismissed. Except... What in the world's going on, Lord? What, what is going on? I call them verily, verily. If you ever notice something in your life that happens twos or threes within a short period of time, maybe within a 24-hour period of time, maybe two or three days in a time, but two, two or three things happen, bang, bang, bang. You might hear it on the radio, you might read it in the Bible, you might hear it in a sermon, but all of a sudden you go, wow, wait, whoa, I've already heard that today. I've already heard those, those same words today. I'm not saying that that's God, but at least perk up and go, is that you? Are you saying something? Is that, is that phrase coming from heaven? <laughs> you know, Because sometimes it is. The Bible talks many times about this, let every word be established with two or three witnesses. God speaks in twos or threes. And, and, and Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. <laughs> so there you go. There's a two right there. That Listen, this is really important. Okay, so here i got three things within uh, probably 48 hours, maybe even 36 hours. Three lost and founds. It's like, God, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not catching on here. This is very strange, but if you're saying something, please tell me. What is it? <coughs> Nothing? <laughs> okay. That's not the end of my story. So, about a week to two weeks later, after this happened, I'm sitting in my living room. And my daughters went to uh, Bethel uh, um, 
church and college uh, school of supernatural ministry out in Reading. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But several of my daughters went there. One of my daughters is still out there. And, um, and they were listening to a Bethel sermon. It was Palm Sunday of that year. And uh, Johnson, what's his first name? Bill. Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson's preaching. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of half listening. When somebody else in the room listening to a sermon, you kind of half listen. So I'm half listening. And, and, and then I hear him say these words. Yeah, this strange phenomenon has been happening all around the world where people have lost something and supernaturally find it. <clears throat> okay, you got my attention. <laughs> what, what is going on? That had my attention. And he said, yeah. You know, I, of course, we're listening to tape. I can't talk to Bill, but um, we're listening to his tape. And he said, yeah. It seemed to have started when Bob Jones was standing in a hotel room one day, and he had lost a very special knife of his, a pocket knife, that somebody had given him a very special knife and it just popped into his mind that, I want that knife back. So he, the Spirit of God prompted him to say that to the Lord. I want my knife back. So he's standing in this hotel room in a different city. He's, he's traveling. He's in a different city. And he's standing in a hotel room and he says, God, I want my knife back. Boom! The knife dropped out of super space <laughs> onto the bed of the hotel room. And there it laid. And I was like, no explanation. I want my knife back, and there it is. And, and, and Mr. Johnson, Pastor Johnson was saying, we are hearing testimonies around the world of that same thing happening over and over again. People are calling in saying, I, I, have, I haven't had this for years. I was looking, and, and all of a sudden I have it again. It's back in my possession again. Well, this is a week after I just went through three bang, bang, bangs. And I was like, well, what's the meaning? You know, there's got to, and, and Bill Johnson had the audacity to say, we don't know what the meaning is. <laughs> I wanted to know what the meaning was. He said, I, I don't know what the meaning is. God's not telling us, except there seems to be a grace available. That, that you're missing something, something has been stolen from you, taken from you, ask for it back. So, that roll ahead several years. I'm standing in my shop one day. This was about a year after I'd lost my tamper. About a year. Maybe two years. I've been without my tamper. I've given up, basically, on it. But I'm standing in my shop that day, and I thought, you know, I've got a flashlight. I'm going to... You know how when you're looking for something sometimes, and then I was going, oh, there it is, right there. I, my eyes just went over it. And that's not supernatural. That just happens, okay? But I thought, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm, if, if, this, if that tamper's in the shop, I'm going to find it right now. I'm going to go from one end to the other, looking carefully under every cabinet, under every, get to the end of the shop. No, it's not there. Okay, well, I've confirmed that with a, with a, uh, a straight mind, I know that it is not in the shop. So that story, those stories came back to my mind. This was a year or two later. So if that period of grace had already worn off, I was, I was too late, but I thought, I'm going to give this thing... <laughs> I'm going to give this thing a wing, or give, a, give it a try and see. So I just looked up to heaven and said, God, I want my tamper back. I want my tamper back. I, I liked that tamper. It was expensive. It was good. I want my tamper back. A week later, I drove up to my shop, and there's a tarp over top of something there by the door. It looks like a lawnmower handle sticking out of it. It was my tamper. 
That was my tamper. No explanation. Nobody around. No note. No nothing. That tamper was not sitting there for a year and a half. I can tell you that. That tamper appeared a week after I said, God, I want my tamper back. Now, you guys, that might cause something here today. You take that home and do whatever you want to with it. But, but, um, and I don't remember why I was telling you that story. But, <laughs> but God does answer prayer, and, and, and there is a grace for getting things back that were stolen from you. Amen. All right. Okay, that was a long rabbit trail. Oh, I am just about out of time here. All right, do you have that, that tape? It doesn't matter. The audio is what I care about. There was a, a, a sermon that a guy preached several years ago, a black guy, and, uh, and, and I want you to listen to these words. They're very they're powerful. And then that's, that's where I'm going to go with my, my sermon right here. Daniel said, They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Audio must not be working. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his word is right. I wish I could describe him. But yet he's indescribable. He's 
know Him. Amen. You know, in Christian, Christ, Christianese, we have a little phrase that says, Do you know the Lord? Well, what we really mean is, have you ever been to the altar and have you ever given your heart to the Lord? That's what we really mean at that point. Do you know the Lord? Have you ever met Him? Have you ever, have you ever you know, received Him and started the journey? But this is talking about something way beyond that. This is talking about knowing Him through the years. There's something about when you meet a saint of God that has known Him for years, whew, there's a depth there. Because what's happening is you're hearing and seeing God shine through that man. He started to act like God. He started to talk to God, like God. There's a kindness and there's a tenderness and, 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 and there's a, a depth of wisdom that comes from people that know him, that have been with him. It says that, that, that they noted that the disciples had been with Jesus. The Pharisees noted that. They noted this, these guys were with Jesus. They're acting like Jesus was. <laughs> we killed Jesus, but these guys are acting like him. Have you been with the Lord? Have you been out in that wilderness and spent time with him? You see, you can't get to know somebody unless you spend time with them. Who's the, who, who's the, 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 the lead runner on the Vikings team? Nobody knows? Adrian Peterson. And who did Adrian Peterson play for before he started with the Vikings? Oklahoma. See, you guys are way beyond me because I don't, I don't keep track of that, but I want to show you something. You guys know about Adrian Peterson. You know some facts about him. And if you were really nutsy, you would go to every game, you'd wear an Adrian Peterson jersey, and you could spit out facts about Adrian Peterson left and right. You would, and, and you might even follow this guy around. What, what do they call it when somebody's following you? Groupie. Groupie. Stalker. stalker. That was the word I was looking for. You might even stalk this guy. <laughs> you see? But then if you walked up and said, well, Adrian's standing there somewhere, and, and you say, yeah, I, I know this guy. He'd go, say what? You don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me. You see, you never spent time with Adrian Peterson. You never went on a fishing trip with him. Now, if you've gone on a fishing trip with him and spent a few hours out in a fishing boat and got acquainted, you might be able to say, yeah, I know Adrian. He might go, oh, yeah, we met back in such and such. But if you didn't spend any time, if all you knew was a bunch of head facts about Adrian Peterson, and if all you did was follow him and watch him, you don't know him. And he's not going to acknowledge that he knows you. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said at the last judgment that he will send people away and say, I never knew you. That is scary. Because he's talking about church people. He's talking about people that are saying, well, I, I cast out devils. I used your name. Shush. <laughs> I used your name to perform miracles and to cast out devils and, and you taught in our streets and yada yada. I got the speaker turned up on that thing? Sorry. Okay. And, um, and he's talking about church people. He's talking about people that have a little cross on their neck and, and, and have a Bible in their hand. And he's talking about them and he's going to say, I never knew you. Whoa. There must be something really important about this. Knowing God. You can't just, well, maybe you can just say a prayer and get into heaven. But is that all you want? Do you want to just be an also-ran on the day of judgment, yeah, he also ran. We have first place, second place, yada, yada, yada. But, yeah, this guy also ran. We're going to let him in. But, no, we want to be conquerors. Amen. And, and, and in the last days, when the Antichrist is wearing out the saints, do you want to be one of those, or do you want to be one of the saints that says, they knew their God and they did exploits. Amen. They beat the Antichrist. 
The only way to do that is to know your God, to know Him. And the only way to do that is to spend time with Him out in the wilderness, out by yourself with God. Church is great. We come here and we fellowship. But we fellowship what we learned out in the wilderness. We fellowship what we heard Him say out there. We fellowship the times that we praised and worshiped Him out there and you come in here. And, and that's, actually, that's where unity comes from. You see, when a conductor gets up in front of an orchestra, he doesn't get up and they say, okay, everybody, come, tune, tune together. Come on, everybody, tune together. No, he doesn't. He says, everybody be quiet. And he, he, he plays either an electronic tuner or he does a, a vibration tuner or he has one person stand up and, and play a tune and everybody tunes to that. And you see, in church, how are we going to have unity if we're all in tune to him? If we all get out in the wilderness and we all hear his voice, you don't have... Me and, me and John don't see each other every week. We, don't, we see each other maybe three times a year. But I've been amazed through the years that even though we're brothers, which may or may not have anything to do with it, I don't know. Sometimes God works in family, sometimes he doesn't. But every time we get together, we're, we're tuned. We're like we're on the same page on just about every subject we talk about, except for who's the better looking. But otherwise, <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're basically in tune with each other. And that's where unity comes from, is we are tuned to the master, and we find that, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're in agreement here. Okay. My time is up, so I'm going to finish with this story. <laughs> a, real, a real short story. <laughs> well, this is... Um, I'm going to try to give this story, because rarely can I tell this story without weeping. So we're going to try. <laughs> or we're going to give up before we start. <laughs> A few years ago, I was financially in straits. As a contractor, as a father of 12, I don't know. Um, it's very, very expensive to raise 12 kids. And, uh, and I ran my credit cards to the limit. And that doesn't mean I borrowed 10 or 20,000 on the credit cards. I mean, I was at about $160,000 on credit cards alone. And our monthly budget was at about 12000 10 to 12000 a month. I had to come up with, out of the blue, I had to come up with that money every month to make ends meet, to pay the loans, to buy the groceries, to keep the lights on, everything else. I had to come up with about ten to 12000 a month. If I did not do that this month, I needed to come up with twenty to 24000 next month. I'm an industrious guy, and, and, I, and I work hard, and, and, and we have been able to come up with a lot of business ideas and a lot of business through the years that I've been able to raise my kids. Uh, without a high school diploma, um, you just work a lot extra hard. <laughs> if you don't have a diploma, if you don't have a college degree, that means you, just, you better be strong in your back if you're not strong in your mind, and, and, and I just have done that. We've, we've picked the hardest jobs, concrete, roofing, some of the things that nobody else wants to do. We've, we've went out and done those things because you can charge better. So, <clears throat> so, not because I wasn't willing to work, but all of a sudden the, the faucet turned off. There was no work. And when I say there was no work, I don't mean, um, okay, we don't have any, any work at the moment, but I'm going to bid on this and this and this. 
No, I'm, I mean, there was no, nothing to bid on. I had, I have, I have tubs in my office. This is a, the to bid tub, and I, and usually it's half full of stuff that I, I could go after if I wanted to. That tub was empty. And 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 the tub of the receivables that I, jobs I had already accomplished that I needed to get the bills out to and get the money coming in, that tub was empty. I had no money. And ten thousand dollars a month. You skip a month, you owe twenty thousand next month. I was in total descending glide, no updraft, nothing to to get me back up. I went to the point where I was overdrawn in two checkbooks, two different banks. Uh, and we're talking desperate. At any moment, if that those banks or if any of those loan companies or any of those credit cards had pulled the panic button, I knew I would be done. That was it. I had nothing to recover from. I didn't really have anything. I, I, I had no recovery, no, no second uh, strategy to fall back on. And suddenly we were in, in full descent. All engines were off. At least I came in with one engine here. <laughs> no. No, this was, this was tough. This was bad. And, and I'm, I'm a faith man. I believe the promises of God for prosperity. I believe that, 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 that the curse of the law does not have an effect on us and that, and that we ought to be paying our bills and we ought to be uh, decent in society and pay back our debts and yada yada. And, and so I went to God. I was, Lord, you know, I was standing in my office. I had a big empty office that, that was alone. I was alone down there. There was no windows. It was nice. And so I was able to get down there. I just, God, you know, you said this and you said that. And God said, Vern, I'd I'd stop every so often, you know, in case he had anything to say. And and I I said, so what do you want me to do? What what am I supposed to do? We're in full descent. As a matter of fact, at that point, it had been three months. You multiply that by 10,000. We were $30,000 in back payments that were due to the loan companies and stuff. Next month, it's going to be another ten. But right now, I'm overdue $30,000. If any of those credit places had pulled the panic button, it would have been over. I was right on the edge. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? Your promises, you know, promise, promise, promise. What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to sit down and shut up. So get on the bus and sit down. <laughs> well, he said, sit down and shut up to me. <laughs> sit down, shut up, and hang on. That's the old phrase. He said, I want you to sit down and shut up. He said, you're more concerned about those banks than you are about me. You're, you're, said, I'm overdrawn at two banks. Yeah, but you haven't talked to me for months. The communication between me and you have been broken for a long time, and you're not concerned about that, but you're concerned about Mr. Banker down the street. It's time for you to sit down and shut up. I'm the ruler of the universe. You need to get your, you need to get your priorities straight here. Okay. I'll just sit down because I don't have anything to do anyway. I, there was nothing to do. I mean, honest to God, if I had a bid to bid, I would have bid it. There was nothing to do. I shut all the lights off in my office except for the little light beside my, my, my easy chair. And I sat down. Get your Bible out. Okay, get my Bible out. Start reading. 
So I started reading. And I read and read. And I also heard a tape by a man by the name of Mr. Carpenter. I don't know if you've ever heard his teachings. But that really affected me. God, God got that tape into my hand and I listened to it. And he talked about speaking tongues. Speaking tongues. You speak in tongues all the time. Let the Spirit of God flow through you continually so that God can get through to you and God can speak to you and such. So that's what I did. I sat in that chair and I spoke in tongues and I read the Bible. And I just let the business go. There's no way I can stop it. There's no way I can save it. Let her go. I'm just going to obey God. I'm going to sit here and just speak in tongues and read the Bible day after day after day in that dark office with that one light on. And of course I meditated. I thought on the Lord and I read it. I started reading Ezekiel. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed a book of the Bible all of a sudden being opened to you for the first time. I can name some of the places I was in the world when a book of the Bible was opened to me for the first time. I was like, wow, there's life in here. Well, Ezekiel had never been open to me. I mean, he's like, the wheel within the wheel, cool, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a whole, <laughs> the wheel within the wheel is a very small portion of Ezekiel. And, and I could tell you some, what the Lord has shown me about those creatures, but that's a, we don't got time to go on another rabbit trail. We're <laughs> so, I'm sitting there and reading Ezekiel. Oh, my gosh. I am reading God weeping and pouring out his heart. I began to weep. I was reading Ezekiel, sitting there weeping, saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to go through this. I'm sorry that you had to take your beloved, the, the one that you love the most, your, your child or your wife or whatever, and you love them so much, and you had to say, I'm going to destroy you. Because you rejected me, I'm going to destroy you. And it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be an ugly destruction. They're going to rip you apart limb from limb. They're going to take your children and bash them against the trees. You're going to be destroyed. Not because I hate you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to have to destroy you because of justice. Jesus wept on the sides of Jerusalem. He he saw Jerusalem up from Mount of Olives. and he, He saw Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, oh, how many times I would have gathered you. But you would not. And I read those words in Ezekiel. And I wept. And I wept for God. I wasn't weeping for a lost world. I wasn't weeping for myself because I was about to face disaster. I began to weep for God. I could see his heart. I could see him crying and weeping and saying, I'm going to have to destroy her. What else can I do? In one of the, one of the chapters, it even said, Ezekiel, come with me. I want you to show you this. See what they're doing here. See what they're doing here. What, what, what can I do? What else can I do? He left it to another man. Come on, look at this. Is this right or wrong? Am I wrong in my thinking to to be against these people? And I read those words. I was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That you had to suffer that pain. (laughs) And even today, you're still suffering. You're still weeping. You're still crying because the people you love are going to have to be destroyed unless something happens, unless something changes. I wept and wept and I read and I read. Come December, God had said to me at one point, I, I, you know, and I, I was crying out to God, I said, man, I, 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 I'm in trouble financially, I'm in trouble. You, and he said, well, how much do you need? This was, this was before I, I, I started praying and studying. 
He said, how much do you need? Well, a lot. Just give me a lot. You know, give me the, the Reader's Digest. That'll do it. You know? And he said, no, how much do you need? So I sat down and penciled it out. And to get through the winter, since I'm a carpenter, and things stop in the wintertime. Wintertime is starvation time for construction people. And um, this was November. For, to, for us to get through the winter, I figured it out, penciled it out. I said, I need $100,000 to make it through the winter, to make it before the, the spring thaw. I had no work. Zero. I need $100,000. God said, okay. <laughs> Sit down in your chair and shut up. About uh, a few weeks after that, Sherry called me. She says, yeah, my dad just sold the cabin and, and he's divvying up some of the money to the uh, children and, and he just gave us $10,000. <laughs> it's like, that's good. You know, I mean, normally... Normally, if you got a gift for ten thousand bucks, you'd be like, "Oh, I won the lottery!" You know, I mean, I'm telling you, I was already thirty grand underwater and going down fast. And I was like, "Good, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'll get the checkbooks out of out of hock. Checkbooks won't be overdrawn now. That's good. Thank you, Lord. That's that's a drop in the bucket. <laughs> you know, I need a hundred grand to make it to spring. So after some time sitting in my chair." praying and such, one day, the phone rings. And I have some property here and there, and, um, and, and I had an old school building. And um, the phone rings, and, and here's a guy from Iowa that's in sign company. He says, hey, you want to sell out? You want to sell your sign company and, and sell your business stuff? We weren't using the sign company at that time. It was just sitting there inoperative. Yeah, maybe. I'll, you know, I'll get back to you. He must have left a message because I wouldn't have said no. I would have, I would have taken him seriously. That same week, I got another phone call with another offer for the sign company in the building. In the same week, I wasn't advertising it. I wasn't telling anybody that this place is for sale. The same week, I get another phone call. Do you want to sell your business? Do you want to sell your sign company in your building? Well, yeah, very possibly. What are you thinking? I had a check for $100,000 within a couple days from there. And I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't explain to anybody else. It was like, I just saw God. I just saw the arm of God. And, and, and if you, in your life, if you watch carefully, you can see the arm of God. When you're in a situation where there is no other possibility and you got a promise from God, you just, you just stand back and you watch and you've you got him now. He's got he's to show his arm. He's got to reveal himself. God is very secretive and very... You don't catch him very often. But at that moment, you got him. He's got to show himself, and you're going to stand there and watch. And God showed himself right there. There was no possibility. I had $100,000. So I had enough for till spring. And I continued to seek the Lord and, and, and had wonderful fellowship with him. Until end of April, March, April. Yeah, it was getting towards the end of April. I was out of money. I'd, I'd blown the whole hundred thousand bucks, <laughs> and and we made it. We were alive, you know. Still had a still had a a, a monthly need for ten thousand dollars a month, but we were alive, and I was out of money, and. God came into my office one day. Now, I cannot 
describe to you what that was like or how I knew. But he came into the office that day. And he spent the day with me. <laughs> it was the two of us. We spent the day together down in the office. I talked to him, he talked back. And we had amazing fellowship. Well, I'm, I'm face to face with God now talking to him. I, mean, I didn't see anything, but, but, but he was there. I knew he was there. So I was getting towards the end of the day, and I, I said, um, you're rich. <laughs> you know, if you, had a, if you had a need and you were buddy-buddy with a billionaire, uh, you might consider saying, hey, by the way, <laughs> can, you, can you help me out here? Well, he's more than a billionaire. And so I said, I said you're rich. And, 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 I, and I, I have a need. And he said, well, how much do you need? Well, enough to get to the end of the month. He said, no, how much do you need? Okay, take the calculator back out. I calculated out, I need four grand. I need four grand to make it to the end of April. Okay. All right, I love you, God. Packed up my stuff, went up out of my office, got in my pickup, drove home. It's about a three-minute drive. Got in the house, greeted my wife and kids, went down to the basement to take a shower. Got down in the basement, shut the door. We're talking maybe 10 minutes after that prayer. My phone rang. Hello? Yeah, you know, how you doing? You think of, you know, how would you like to sell your trailer? You know, yeah, everything's for sale. <laughs> and uh, he said, okay. Oh, and by the way, I, I, I think I owe you some money. I said, well, not that I know of. He said, no, no, you borrowed me some money years ago and, and, and I'd like to pay you back. Okay, how much? 4000 bucks. I said, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be good. You... <laughs> <laughs> so nobody can tell me there's no God. Nobody can tell me that he's not alive. I, I, I saw him that winter. I was with him. I talked to him. I got to know him. And ever since then, my prayer life has been different. Ever since then, when I used to go to the teller of heaven and say, now I need this and this and this and this and this and this, every so often he'd go, Vern, Vern, it's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, talking to, I'm talking to a real person now. I'm not just giving my list to a teller, you know, let's get this transaction done. My prayers have also become very personal. It's like, oh, yeah, it's you. It's you. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, I do need the stuff, but yeah. <laughs> and, and it's become very personal, and that's what God wants. He wants us to be connected to him. He is the vine, we are the branches. And our hearts, we started out by talking the stages of our heart, our hearts need to be connected to him, and that is where our heart needs to be. That's the, the, that's the stage where we need to be, is walking in fellowship with his heart. Like he said last night, where they caught his heart, in that meeting where he was weeping and crying and such, they caught his heart of evangelism. That's where you're going to get, catch his heart is by spending time with him and learning who he is. And there you go. God bless. I told you you wanted to be here this morning. Now, here's the deal. We would be greatly amiss to not have opportunity for ministry. If you'd like for Vernon Sherry to, to pray for you, come up right now. If you're a businessman, if you're a 
person in need, if you're a whatever it is, if, you, if that touched your heart in any way, it's, you need to come up. And, and I want them to pray for you. If you guys would come. The word of the Lord came to me early in the service during the praise and worship. And I heard the word germination. And I just thought, Lord, what, what is, how, what is that? And it was clear. And when Vern got up to speak about things being lost or appeared not to be there, when a seed is sown, you don't see it anymore. There's been seed sown, and everyone in the room here has sown seed. You haven't seen it produced, but it's been in germination. The Spirit of the Lord went on to quicken me to, to say to you, that 2017 you will see a crop come forth from the Word of God that's been sown. It hasn't been seen, but it will be seen this year. Because it's been in germination. It's been waiting. It's been sown in the soil of people's hearts and in other places, but it's just been waiting. First, when the seed breaks ground, it's small. But it was interesting how it's been stated in here what he prayed for. There was a waiting period and things still it appeared. And it will be for everybody in the room this year you'll see come out of people's hearts seeds that you sown years ago. Maybe months ago, but it will surely come to pass. Out to the Lewises. This was almost overwhelming to me because their seeds in been in germination for years. But this year, but this year, you will see things come to pass. It's not only going to break ground, it's going to grow quickly. And the same thing with this ministry here. But be rest assured, say it the Spirit, the things that have been sown were not lost. They've never been hidden from God. This is seed time and harvest. And it will surely come to pass. Because it's been sown by the Word of God. Be encouraged, everyone in here. The Word of the Lord has been spoke to you. This is a year of harvest. And it will come true. Because the Word of God is true. And He's out to bless you. as soon as he said to you that seed that you had sown that will reap a harvest this year I heard the spirit even say even from Mongolia even seed that was sown in Mongolia which you thought was well well too late to reap a harvest from you'll see harvest this year from Mongolia glory to God glory to God glory to God hallelujah He's so good, isn't he? Thank you. Thank you for that 1%.
Glory to God. God is so good to us. We're going to have some time of fellowship, some time of food, and